Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Today I want to talk to you about thriving in an anxiety and stress-filled society. Now, we're going to look at a few things that we looked at last week, but we're going to talk and say some different things about them, and we're going to lay a foundation, and we're going to look at an example in Scripture. First of all, John 14 in verse 1. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, in our society today, what we're basically told is your emotions, what your emotions are is what they are. Right? If, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, if you're depressed, whatever it is, he said, well, that's just the way that it is and that's the way I am. Right? But Jesus said, do not let your emotions run your life. And you do not need to let your emotions run your life. In fact, Jesus said, don't do it. Don't let that happen. Right? Now he's going to tell us how to not let it happen. And he begins with this. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. So here's what he's saying. He's saying your emotions are moved in whatever direction they go by what you believe or what you think. In other words, if you believe right, you're going, your emotions are going to come in line. If you believe right, if you think right, your emotions are going to come in line. But if you believe wrong, you're going to have emotions that are going to control your life. So he says, make sure you're believing the right things. Make sure you've got the right thoughts. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he goes on and he says something here. Very, very interesting. He, he begins to look beyond this life. Literally, he begins to look ahead. In fact, the Bible tells us to set our affections on things above and not on things beneath. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to get us to focus on the eternal. Now, how many of you have read at least the whole New Testament? Wait a minute. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, if you've read the, the, the whole New Testament, you get to the end of the Bible, right? It's the book of Revelation. And when you read the end of the book, we win. We absolutely win. I mean, the enemy is, is, is literally, he's put in a prison where he's going to be day and night. The Bible says forever and ever and ever. God wipes away every tear. There's no more death. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more sighing. It is all gone. And Jesus said that what we need to do is we need to have an eternal focus on what's going on. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now, by the way, every single New Testament author, even the ones that just write one chapter, talk about Jesus coming again. And he says, I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The Bible literally calls this the blessed hope. Right? It is what, what, what we as Christians, it is our final end. It's the, the, the goal of our faith is when he comes back, he's going to receive us to himself. We are going to be where he is. So he says, don't let your emotions run your life. Believe right. You are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do. You can have what God says you can have. Think right. In other words, do our thinking 
with God's word. Let God's word direct what we believe and what we think. Now, some of us get stressed out because we're worried about the things that are happening in our life today. We're like, hey, they did this, they did that. What's going to happen? All right. Now, in 2 Thessalonians, it deals with this. It says, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Now, the Bible tells us that not to return evil for evil, but to return evil for good. In other words, it's not up to us to even the score. Somebody said, I, you know, I'm going to get ahead. I'm not just going to get even. I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to make them pay. No, you don't need to do that. Right? In fact, the Bible says don't return evil for evil, but return evil with good and overcome evil with good. Otherwise, you just end up in a continuous cycle of evil. But now, here's what I want you to catch. The Bible says the day's going to come when God is going to repay. Right? When, listen, Jesus is telling us, Focus on the eternal. Here's what's going to happen. Because most people do not understand what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, listen, Jesus will right every wrong. Right? Jesus is going to right every wrong. Now, what Jesus is going to do is there's going to be a judgment day. He's going to be the judge. He's going to render to everyone according to their works. Now, for example, in Psalms 110, it talks about Jesus' return. Let me read this to you. The Lord is at your right hand. He, Jesus, will execute kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill the place with dead bodies. And he will execute the heads of many countries. Now, that's not the picture most people have of Jesus coming back. They think it's going to be Jesus meek and mild. I got news for you. It's going to be Jesus mighty wild. All right. He's coming back and he will right every wrong. Right. He, he, is, he is coming back as the judge. The, Bible's, the Bible says he will fill the place with dead bodies. Jesus is going to take and make every wrong right when he comes back. And because of that, you don't need to. You don't need to. You just say, God, I just forgive them. I just turn them over to you. I just turn them over to you. You know, a lot of us get all stressed out about how somebody else mistreated us and how they need to pay for what they've done. I, very, very recently, I had somebody tell me, you know, well, I can't forgive them and they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, you need to forgive them. You just turn it over to God. That doesn't mean they're right. It just means you turn them over to God. All right? You let God take care of it. So Jesus tells us, first of all, believe right and think right. Focus on the right things. And that way, your emotions will not control your life. Secondly, Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing. Or some translations say, don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, don't worry about anything. Some Christians, let me just say, worry, anxiety is fear in its infancy. That's what it is. It is fear in its infancy. Now, one of the most common phrases in the entire Bible is fear not. Fear not. Fear not. But if you're feeding fear in its infancy, it's going to grow up. Now, Christians, Christians do not grab this. I mean, people feel like they're doing you a favor. When they worry about you, 
They say, oh, I've just been so worried about you. You know, like they want you to pay them or something. Right? Like they're, 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 they're doing you a service. All right? But, but scripturally, worry is sin. And again, as it grows, it turns into a fear that literally controls your life. Right? So the Bible says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Right? With supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. And the peace of God. You say, I want peace. Well, if you want peace, you need to believe right, think right, and you need to go and take every situation to God in prayer. And then the peace of God, that passes all understanding. It'll guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. Peter says to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So take those things that, that anxiety and worry and fear are trying to grab hold of in your life. And the Bible says to cast your care on the Lord. Now, when you cast your care on the Lord, you need to leave it there. Sometimes what we do is we take it to the Lord and we, we, we pray about it. But then 10 minutes later, we take it back. Right. You've got to leave it there. And then, of course, the next verse says this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And again, he goes back to what we need to be thinking about, what we need to be believing, right? Focus on the right things so that the peace of God that passes all understanding can fill our hearts and our minds, Right. Then the, the next thing I wanted to talk about when it comes to this stress-filled life, and this is very important, and it gets talked about very, very little. You know, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He spends 40 days, 40 nights with God. He comes down with the 10 suggestions. Right. He comes down with the 10 commandments. Right. Now, now, I want to remind you of something. Right. The Bible says this in more than one place. He says the commandments that he's given to us for our good. For whose good? For our good. All right. Now, one of the Ten Commandments says this. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Not you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your female servant, your cattle, your stranger, or those who are within your gates. So notice what it says. It says take this, this day. And it's a Sabbath of the Lord. Now, here's what we've done. We have made it a Sabbath of the NFL, of the NBA, all right, of golf, of the family, of sports, of ourselves. But what it needs to be, it needs to be a Sabbath day, a special day of the Lord, all right, of the Lord. Now, now here's why. Right? And I'm just going to read a portion from Isaiah chapter 40 and, and see if you can catch this. He says, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the young shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And they'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. And they will walk and not faint. You see, that, that, that Sabbath day, a time when we're worshiping, when we're focusing 
on the Lord. When it happens, you renew your strength. Now, Jesus said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, what happens when we take the time and we focus on the Lord, what happens is we renew our strength spiritually, right? Now, your three parts, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, 5.23, says, may the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. Look, all the problems that you've got are with your soul and with your body. Right? And what you need is you need to be strong in your spirit. And when we take that time and we wait on the Lord, we spend time focusing on God, what happens, we renew our strength spiritually. And when you're strong spiritually, you can handle the problems that come up in your life. But when you're not strong spiritually, you can't. It's just that simple. You get stressed out. You get worried. You get depressed. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're waiting on the Lord. You are going to renew your strength and you're going to mount up with wings like eagles. You are going to rise above the situations and the problems that are all around you. We need to refocus on God. And there's supposed to be a day where we do that. I'm not saying you can't do anything with your family, but I'm saying this. It's not supposed to be about your family. It's not supposed to be about your entertainment. It's not supposed to be about the NFL or the NBA or anything else. It is supposed to be, number one focus is to be on the Lord. You know, a while back, Rick Warren wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life. I just want to read the first paragraph right, of this book. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams or ambitions. And if you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. And when we focus on ourselves and we focus on everything else, we miss the purpose that God put us on this planet for. Right. Charles Spurgeon said this, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strengths. You see, God gives grace, but he gives grace for today. You know, in the Lord's prayer, we pray, give us our daily bread, our daily bread. God gives you grace, but he doesn't give you grace for the next six months. He gives you grace for today. You say, why does he do that? So that you plug into him again tomorrow and get more grace. There's, there's grace every day. The Bible says that his mercy, his grace is new every, every morning. It's new every morning, right? But you can't take today's grace for tomorrow's stuff and next month's stuff. All that you do is you empty today of the strength and the grace that God gave you for today. That's why every day we take our cares and we cast them on the Lord. And I know we're living in the 21st century. It's very, very stress-filled. In fact, here's a quote. Anxiety has become the number one mental health issue in North America. It is estimated that one-third of North American adult populations experience anxiety and wellness issues. One out of three. You know, when you're hounded by stress and anxiety, you will not live the abundant life that Jesus has for you. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. But stress 
Being stressed out, it keeps us from the abundant life that he has for us. And stress will take everything from you that it possibly can. It'll take your health, your peace, your rest, your joy, your laughter, your relationships, your contentment. It brings depression, irritability, anger, lack of motivation, restlessness, fatigue, headaches, muscle tension, drug and alcohol abuse, isolation, outbursts of anger. Not to mention medical science tells us it's a major cause of heart disease, high blood pressure and diabetes. Dealing with stress, listen, doesn't mean you're bad. It just means that you're living in the 21st century. Right? And we need to do what the Bible tells us to do. Right? And, and this is particularly true when it comes to the things that you have absolutely no control over. Right? Listen, you cannot make somebody do the right thing. How many of you figured that out? You don't have control over somebody else to make them do the right thing. You, you do, listen, some of you are so stressed out about who's going to be the next president. I'm serious. I have got a couple of people that I know every time I've seen them for the last six months, it's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. They are, they are stressed out. One, one fellow said, if so-and-so gets in, I'm leaving the country. I mean, they're just stressed. Listen, listen, you cannot, you, you get a vote, but you cannot control who's going to be the next president. You, you cannot control where the economy is going, where interest rates are going. You can't even control your crazy boss or neighbor. You can't control your crazy relatives. You know, everybody's got a couple nuts in the family tree. And you say, I don't. That's because you are. <laughs> you know? Just check because you, you, you might be the nut in the family tree. All right? So, so what do we do? What do we do? We pray, all right? But we've read the end of the book. We know how this thing is going to come down, all right? The Bible says this, that he will, listen, it says God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. It says, therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What can man, what can society, what can this world do to me? Right? Now, it says he won't leave you. It means he will not physically leave you. It says he will not forsake you. It literally means God will never turn his heart away from you. You might feel abandoned, but if you do, your feelings are lying to you because he has not abandoned you. He will never leave and he will never turn his heart away from you. Right? Now, in dealing with, with the stress that every one of us see today in this life, right? Make sure that you don't let other people control your schedule, control your agenda, right? You need to know what God's called you to do, and that's what you do. Listen, somebody comes to Jesus. Jesus is, is teaching, and the guy shouts out, and he says, hey, Jesus. He says, make my brother divide the inheritance with me, right? Now, he's, he's wanting to get Jesus in his thing, all right? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, who made me a judge or an arbitrator between the two of you? Jesus would not let somebody else pull him in to their stuff, into their mess, right? And what we saw, hey, listen, you need to learn to say no. Just say no, 
right? Jesus would not let other people set his agenda. He said, look, I know what I'm here to do. I'm here to call the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and I'm not getting involved in your stuff. And you and I, we need to do the exact same thing. We need to recognize what God's called us to do, get involved where God's called us, but don't get involved where God has not called us. Be willing to say no. Now, I want to take us to an illustration that really kind of shows us all of this stuff taking place. So God comes to a prophet by the name of Elijah. He's one of the main prophets in the Old Testament. And God says to Elijah, look, he said, the nation of Israel has turned away from me. We have King Ahab and Jezebel, his wife. They are the worst, most two ungodly leaders Israel has ever seen. They've turned the nation away from God. The nation is worshiping Baal. And God says, go to him and say, there will be no dew and no rain these years until I say so. So he tells Ahab and Ahab thinks, guys, off his rocker, right? Prophet takes off. God tells him, go hide by the brook cherub, right? So he goes and hides. And the Bible says that the ravens came and fed him a whopper every morning and every evening. You say, where's that in the Bible? It says they brought him bread and meat. The only thing that's missing is ketchup. I mean, it sounds like a whopper to me, all right? So the king, he thinks he's crazy until a month goes by, two months goes by, three months goes by. There's no rain. There's no dew. And he starts looking for him, but he can't find them because God's got him hidden. Right? And for three and a half years, no rain, no dew. The, the nation is absolutely impoverished. And then he goes to the king. He shows himself to the king. And he says, king, all this trouble's because of you. Because the king is blaming him. And he says, this is what I propose. I propose that you go and get your 450 prophets of Baal and go to Mount Carmel. And I'll go to Mount Carmel. We'll make two altars. Put no fire on them. Let the prophets of Baal pray and I'll pray. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. Ahab said, sounds good to me. Gets the prophets. They make the altars. The Bible says all Israel comes. They're all out in Mount Carmel. Now we're going to be there in a few months. Love to have you come with us on our next trip to Israel. Right? So the prophets of Baal, they start praying and they start dancing. And then the Bible says they take their knives and they start cutting themselves and they're calling on Baal. And, and, and Elijah maybe got a little carried away. And he says, hey, maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping. And if you got a good translation, this is what it says. Hey, maybe he's in the bathroom. Yell louder. All right. He got a little carried away. All right. But, but for hours, in fact, from the morning until late afternoon, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're cutting themselves. Blood is gushing. Nothing happens. And then he says, draw near. He had him get four buckets of water, pour it on his altar. He said, do it again. They did it again. Do it again. They did it again. And then he prayed. And he said, God, answer by fire and let these people know that I haven't done this because it was my idea, but it was your idea to call this nation back. The Bible says the fire falls, consumes the offering, licks up all the water, the people fall down. They say, the Lord, he's God. He's God. And he says, grab those false prophets. And the Bible says they killed the 450 prophets. 
Then he climbed up on top of the mountain, Mount Carmel. You can see the Mediterranean Sea from there. And he prays. And a hand, a cloud like a man's hand comes out of that sea. And he says to the king, he said, hurry up. Get in your chariot. He says, because it's going to rain. And the Bible says, as he's saying it, the, the sky gets dark. The wind picks up. The clouds roll in. It starts to rain. It says that he takes his, his robe and he rolls it up. And he outruns the king's chariot for 18 miles all the way to Jezreel. Now, get this. All right. Said there's going to be no rain. There's no rain. Feeding, being fed by ravens. Right. Then he calls down fire from heaven. Then he kills the false prophets. Then he prays and it rains. Then he supernaturally outruns the king's chariot. How many know this is a good day? All right. And listen, listen, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, hears. And she sends word. And I quote. She says, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be as dead as every one of those prophets. Now listen, this is exactly what the Bible says. When he saw that. When he saw that, she said, you're going to be dead. And in his mind, he starts to picture it. He sees it. The Bible says he turned around. Now, he was supposed to go and finish the job, turn the nation to God. But instead, he turns around and he runs for three days into the desert, falls down under what the Bible refers to as a broom tree. It's a small shrub. And he prays and he says, God, kill me. Well, he didn't really want to die because if he had wanted to die, he could have just stayed right where he was and Jezebel would have taken care of that three days before. Right? But he didn't want to die. But, but yet he became so depressed because he was thinking about the wrong things, picturing the wrong things, believing the wrong things. So God feeds him and tells him, go to the Mount of God. And he goes over to this mountain. And then God says, what are you doing here? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone and left. And they seek to take my life. He's, oh, I'm just all alone. He's having this pity party. How many of you know the pity party is the only one, you're the only one who shows up for? Nobody else wants to have anything to do, but he's having this pity party. And then the, God, the Bible says that God spoke to him. But first, this is what happens. He says, first, the Bible says there is an earthquake. The earth shakes, the rocks are split apart. And it says, but the Lord is not in the earthquake. And then there's, there's a, a wind that comes through. And it just tears everything up. There's this roar. It says, but the Lord isn't in the wind. And then fire. Fire comes through. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the fire. And then it says there was a still, small voice. You know, we, we tend to want God to shout, but he doesn't shout. He comes in that still, small voice. In Isaiah 30, he said, and you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Right? It's not going to be a shout. It's going to be that still, small voice. And God spoke to him. And the first thing that he said to him was this. He ministered truth to him. He said, you think you're alone? He says, I've got 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. But here was his problem. He was isolated. He was all alone. You know, that's why we encourage you again and again, get in a small group, get in a small group, get in a small group, because you are not meant to live life alone, right? 
Now, the very first thing that happens when you become a Christian, you don't even know it happens, but it happens in the spiritual realm. All right? The Bible says that you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. All right? How many ever read that one baptism? The Bible says one baptism, and then it talks about baptisms. Right? It seems like it's confusing, but it's not. There's just one baptism that happens to everybody, and it happens automatically. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit spiritually takes you and puts you into the body of Christ. Now, that's what he does. Listen, but you are supposed to physically do it. You are supposed to physically become a part of the body of Christ. Listen, God doesn't have any lone rangers. I hear people say, I'm just going to be a Christian at home. I love Jesus, but it's the people that bother me. That's really messed up because the the, the church is the bride of Christ. That's saying, you know, I like you, but I hate Jeannie. Oh, that ain't going to go over. (laughs) That ain't going to go over. Literally, he puts us in the body of Christ. That's what he does in the spirit, but we're supposed to do it in the natural. We are supposed to get connected to the body of Christ. No one, listen, can be a biblical Christian at home. You've got to be connected. You cannot isolate yourself. When you do, you always get a false perception of what is going on around you. And he said, I'm the only one. And God goes, no, there's 7,000. But he wasn't connected to anybody. Then listen, then God gives him a purpose or an assignment. He says, first of all, I want you to go and anoint Haziel to be king of Assyria. It says, and then I want you to anoint Elisha to be prophet in your place. And then I want you to anoint somebody else to become the new king of, of Israel. He gave him an assignment. Now, I want you to listen because there is not a person here today that there is not an assignment that you have from God, that you don't have an assignment. You have one. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's own handiwork, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do the good works which God predestined for us. Now, by the way, the word predestined, in fact, if you look in the Amplified, it just said, it means he planned beforehand, all right? That we should walk in them taking paths that he prepared ahead of time, all right? So God has prepared good works for you and he has prepared paths for you ahead of time, all right? Every single one of us. And so we, we need to ask ourselves, all right, am, am I just doing my thing or am I connected to the thing that he's got me to be a part of? Am I doing what he's called me to do or am I just doing my thing? All right. Now, it, we, we can, uh, years ago, there was a, there, you don't know this person, so don't try to figure out who it is, okay? Uh, there, there was a couple and they would, call the, uh, they would call the office, I mean, constantly, every week, a couple times. Right. Oh, send a pastor over. Got to have a pastor come. Got to have a pastor come. Got to have a pastor come. We got to pray for us. Got to give us communion. Got to have a pastor come. We got to do this. Got to pray. Gotta... So, so I went over there. I went over this, this place a lot. All right. And I remember the day that I said to her, I said, now here's what I need you to do. Here's their address. Here's their phone number. I need you to go over and I need you to pray with them and to help them. And I told them what they, what, how to do it. It was the last time we ever got a phone call. And you say, why? Because they got their focus off themselves and onto somebody else. Listen, the Bible says about Job that God turned his captivity when he prayed for his friends. Do you know when you get the most blessed 
is not when you're concentrating and focusing on yourself. It's when you begin to reach out and bless others that you get blessed. That's when you get delivered. That's when God begins to move in your behalf. That's when God turns your captivity. When you stop focusing on yourself and begin to focus on what on others and what God has for you. Then, then, then the next thing that he did, again, he gave him a companion. He gave him Elisha. He says, you go anoint him to be prophet in your stead. And for the next decade, Elisha is with Elijah every place that he goes. Again, we're not created to do life alone. All right? And God got him refocused on his assignment, got him refocused on the word of God. And when he did, everything turned around. When he was focused on what Jezebel said, the worry, the stress, the depression, the hopelessness, the anxiety was there. But when he refocused on what God said about his life and got involved in the purpose that God had for him, he went back and began to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose for his life. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? The Bible teaches that forgiven people go to heaven. Not good people, but forgiven people. That everyone is welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. And every single person can meet the requirements. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to forgiveness, the only way to peace with God. All of my efforts will never make me right with God. All of your efforts can never make you right. There's just one way, and that's Jesus. So Jesus said this. He said, you must be born again. It's not an option. He said, this is a must. You say, what does it mean? It means you need to give Jesus all of your heart and all of your life. Now, he's not a manipulator to manipulate it away from you or a thief to steal your heart and life. You need to purposely, consciously give him all of your heart and all of your life. And if he doesn't have all of your heart and life today, you're not where you should be with God. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment to lift your hand. I'm going to count to three. We're going to pray, and God's going to meet you in this place. Now, if you'll lift your hand and you'll pray this prayer, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be forgiven. When you leave this place, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. So I want you to get ready. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be forgiven and to be saved. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying today, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart, all of my life. I'm going to live every day for him. Two, now get ready. As you lift your hand, saying today by faith, Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me new on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift it up. Say, pray with me. I'm not right, but I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand and another in the way in the back somebody else thank you god bless you god bless you god bless you up in the balcony thank you god bless you god bless you others include me pastor thank you god bless you all right now nobody moving but uh, nobody leaving but everybody would you please stand up now if you lifted your hand 
want you to look right at me, right? Will you please move to the aisle that's nearest you? Bring the person you came with. Bring your purse, whatever, your Bible, whatever you need. But make your way down here from the balcony. Please make your way down. We'll wait for you as you're coming. Come on down. Come on. This is your day. This is the most important decision that you could ever possibly make with your life. This is going to change everything. Everything. All right. Jesus said, you confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And as you're confessing him, as you're giving him your heart and your life, he's confessing you before the Father. Awesome. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Awesome. God bless you. This, this is the scripture that I was given 43 years ago. Prayed the prayer, and that prayer is still working. Right? You're going to pray today, 43 years from today. If Jesus tarries, you're still going to be saved. This is still going to be working. All right? Now, the Bible says, Romans 10, 13, whosoever, this is going to work for every single one of you. What the devil always tries to tell you, it'll work. It won't work because you did this, you did that. It's a lie. This will work for whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. All right. And this is God's promise to you. Will be saved. When we say amen, you're forgiven. You're right with God. All right. You're, you're literally, you're on your way to heaven. Awesome. All the way from the balcony. So glad you made it. Now, everybody, would you take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together. Make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I receive him today as my king. I give him all of my heart all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that you blood washed me from my sin, that my past is gone, that I am your child, a part of your family today and forever in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.